Well, good morning. Is everybody doing well? I'm, uh, my name is Shannon Sword. I'm the college and singles pastor at Temple Bible Church. And um, I've uh, been in the area for about 20 years. We, uh, when I came down, actually it was 19 years ago um, this summer, and uh, when I came down, I met uh, your pastor, Dave McMurray. He was uh, 20, I was 30. His uh, head was shaved. He had lost some kind of a bet that he had going on with the, uh, with the junior high students that he worked with. And, uh, and I, you know, somehow he was able to talk this gal, Autumn, into uh, marrying him. I think they were engaged at the time. He was trying to finish up at Texas A&M. And he was our junior high intern at the time. And I tell you, I've got some crazy stories. I've got so many crazy stories. As a matter of fact, he said, one of these days, you've got to come, you've got to tell everybody just some of the, 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 the craziness, the dumb things that I used to do. And so what I've thought is I would do at each service tell a different story that, uh, that I remember with uh, Life with Dave. We were packing him up. He had been, uh, we'd known each other four or five years, long enough for me to learn that this guy thinks very, very outside of the box, right? I'm sure you all know this. And, uh, and so we were packing him up to make the move from Temple to St. Louis to go to seminary, and he had got this truck that really was not going to be big enough, right? So we load up the truck, we got everything in it we could, and then it's time to start loading up his little Ford Tempo, I think, that he had. So we're loading all it up, and I'm like, Dave, there's no way. There's, it's just a law of physics here. This is just no, there's not enough space. And, uh, and he says, well, there's plenty of room on top of the car. Like on your Ford Tempo, I mean, you, you, don't, you don't have a luggage rack up there. It'll be fine. He, so we started loading it up with mattresses and a crib, and I forget what else. And then his solution to like those, so how are we going to hold it up? Shrink wrap. Shrink wrap was his idea. I go, how are you going to get it to, to like be wrapped to something? He says, simple. We'll roll the windows down and we'll shrink wrap it through the doors, through the windows, all the way around over this thing. And we wrap this thing over and over and over and over again, which meant two things. Number one, you have to crawl through the windows to get in the car. And secondly, you can't really roll the windows up in case there's rain. But I'm sure there's not going to be any rain, right? There was a lot of rain on his way up there. The crazy thing was he, <laughs> it almost eggs him on because he basically made it the whole way with shrink wrap holding the stuff on. And so he's like, see, victory. <laughs> Whatever, dude. I've got some great, great memories with Dave. He and I are, uh, are, are good friends. Um, I count him as one of my closest friends. There have been times in my life where I have needed somebody to speak hard truth into my life, and Dave has been that guy so often. He speaks with grace. He sings, speaks with firmness and truth. He's a spiritually minded man. He is honest. He is wise. He is loving. Um, I tell you guys, you have, a, you have a great shepherd. You really do. I count him to be one of my closest friends. This summer... Um, I've been thinking a lot about God's presence and His promise, promises and His power. His presence, His promises, and His power. A few weeks ago, in our college community group that goes on in the summertime, we call it Pulse. We call it that basically because many college students don't really have a spiritual pulse in the summer. So we kind of do this little deal, this little co-ed community group. And the assignment, as we got started that night, was to spend five minutes going through John 1, verses 1 through 18, and mine it. I mean, just dig out of it any promises that you see there. So they spent some time doing that, and all kinds of promises, some that are real subtle and some that are very overt. And there's one in particular 
that is a profound promise that is right here in this first chapter of John. And I thought I'd start with that today. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Let's pray. Father, we need insights. We need insight to understand how to appropriate this, this grand promise, this amazing statement of truth that, that changes everything, that we can become your children, children born of God. So, Father, give us eyes, give us insight to understand. I pray your Holy Spirit would lead us today in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. It's interesting to me um, how when you put the baby, a newborn baby, in the arms of his, his or her parents, I guess, um, those parents are filled with awe and wonder. I mean, it's just, it's a mystery, it's beautiful, it's a miracle that they hold in their hands. We know so much about how babies are born. Modern medicine and science has led us to have a real good understanding of how that takes place. And we're like, it's a miracle. But here's the other side of this. It's interesting to me that we really know so little about how somebody becomes a child of God, born of God. It's full of mystery. And yet when we tell our stories to one another, we say, eh, my story, it's kind of boring. Isn't that amazing? One, it's a miracle. And the other, eh, it's kind of boring. Eh, what's the big deal? And that's the way we feel sometimes as we look into the work that God does in our life. But this is an amazing promise that John has put here right at the beginning of this gospel, a profound promise that anybody, anyone can act on if they will. If they receive Jesus as their Savior, if they believe in His name as, as, as God and King, they can become children born of God. John has placed it right here, and, and, and there's no doubt that as this gospel unfolds, he's going to unfold this idea of birth and of life. And that's exactly what he does in this gospel. And it doesn't take him long to get there, because by the time we get to John 3, he has an encounter with a guy. Jesus has an encounter with a man named Nicodemus. So let's open there, if you would, John 3, and let's get into this story. We're just going to read verses 1 through 9. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asks, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and 
spirits. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and spirit gives birth to spirits. And you should not be surprised, Nick, at my saying that you must be born again. For the wind blows wherever it pleases, and you hear its sound, and you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone that is born of the spirits. And Nick says, how can this be? How can this be? Nick has some questions. Nick's pretty honest with his questions. We would all do better to be a little bit more honest with the questions that we have, wouldn't we? I mean, there's a lot of questions that you have when you open the Bible. When you start thinking about the things of God, talking about the Bible and God and Jesus and looking at the Word and all the things that we find in there, there's lots of times that we want to scratch our head and say, I don't know. I mean, I've got lots of questions. There's times when I scratch my head. How old is the earth? I'm curious about that. I mean, really, how old is the earth? When did the dinosaurs roam? What did they look like? How did they act? Were they there with man? Was Jesus born knowing all things? Was he born omniscient? Was he conceived and at that point omniscient? When the, when the uh, disciples hung out with Jesus, did they ever have a chance to get away, to go back home and, and hang out with their families? Did they have some off time or were they always on call, right? Or did it create a lot more tension than we can see in the Gospels when Jesus spent time with Peter, James, and John apart from the rest of the disciples? Or probably one of the biggest questions of all, I mean, the question that we all want answered is, God, why did you make cockroaches and mosquitoes and big hairy spiders? I mean, I mean these are important questions that we have, aren't they? We all have questions, you guys. We have so many questions that we look, as we look at the things of God, and we're afraid oftentimes to struggle with those questions, to think through those questions. No doubt, to be honest about them sometimes is going to be maybe a shot to our pride. There's going to take, it's going to take some humility for us to talk about these questions. It might affect our reputation. For some of us, it's like, man, there's a lot of hard work just formulating my questions. I don't even know what the question really is, and sometimes when I ask it, I discover I've got a new question, right? And then if I throw it out there, there's this whole debate that's going to go back and forth as it gets refined and developed, and I just, you know what, I'm just going to act like I've got all my questions answered. And that's what we do, you guys. That's the body of Christ oftentimes. That's how we live in the church. I want to encourage all of us, though, that it's important that we think through our questions, that we wrestle through our questions, that we ask our questions. Do you know that one of the reasons that oftentimes we're not credible to the world around us that doesn't claim Christ is because they think we've got it all figured out. We've got all our questions answered. You know, we just got our ticket to heaven. That's all there is to it. No questions. It's so easy. But you know what? If we are honest about the questions we wrestle with, with the, with the doubts that we have, they go, wow, this is a place of common ground. I get you. We become credible. We become compelling. We become approachable to the world around us. Another thing is, is that as we do, as we're honest about that, then all of a sudden, God is not somebody just to gain information about, check, 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 you know, write it all down, got my bullet points. But he is a God that wants to be encountered. He wants us, he calls us to encounter him, to get to know him, to pursue him. For Nick being honest with his questions, though, it may really cost him his livelihood. I mean, this guy was an important guy. 
Nicodemus was part of the Pharisees. I mean, those were the guys that were essentially kind of all that. And if that wasn't enough, he was part of a 70-man ruling council called the Sanhedrin. These guys, kind of like the parliament, kind of like our Senate, but the truth was these guys made all the decisions in terms of not just politics and economy, but all the spiritual decisions, the religious decisions and direction for the nation of Israel. Nicodemus was part of these guys. This is a big deal for him to come to Jesus and to talk to Jesus. And on top of that, he's called a teacher. That's how he interacts with Jesus. That's the role that's going on here. So he's the one who's supposed to interpret how does somebody approach God? That's what the teacher does. He helps them understand how is it that we get to know God, that we can come to God. And Nick, he thought he got it. He thought that he had it figured out. He thought that he understood it. So let's uh, take a look at this. He comes to him at night, and probably it was in the evening time because he just wanted a quiet audience with Jesus. I don't think that uh, it was because of a reputation issue. I think he wanted an uninterrupted conversation, and he did not want it to, to be any kind of a trap, as we know some of the religious leaders were putting Jesus in. And so I think Jesus responds to him and says, this is a sincere guy, and he has compassion for him. And he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. We know that you've come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs that you're doing if God were not with him. In other words, he's saying, hey, Jesus, we can see these things. We can see what you're up to. We can see that God is up to something in you. He's basically saying, hey, I'm a teacher. You're a teacher. And I just want you to know, we approve, right? We're part of the same group. And look at what Jesus does. I mean, just talk about a non-starter, strong words. In his reply, Jesus declares, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. No one can. You think that you can see, but no one can see unless they're born from from above. Nick is acting like he's got it all figured out, like he's here to ratify, to approve what Jesus is saying But the truth is, we cannot really understand anything that God is up to unless we are born again. Literally, the word there that's used is born from above, born again. How many people do we come across that are like Nick? I mean, they're around, aren't they? I mean, we see them in church. We interact with them in church. We rub shoulders with them. There are those who have questions, who have their doubts, who have kind of put on the mask, act like they don't have any questions, um, but they don't want anybody to find out about it, right? And, and let me just say this. If that's you, that really is okay. It really is that you have those questions, you keep them quiet, and you're trying to gather information and trying to understand the things of God. You're in the right place. But there are those who, when confronted, when asked about a question, they'll act like, oh, no, 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 I got it all together. They're insincere. They're here being phony, being fake, being false. And I don't think there's many of those in churches, but they do exist. But the ones that I have a heart of compassion for are those that are like Nick. They've literally grown up in a tradition and and they've been so much around this particular religious tradition that they've learned the talk, they've learned the walk, they've learned how to act. The conversations, you know, that they can have with folks really isn't that much different than what you'd have with anybody out in the world, right? So they can put on the mask 
and act like they are legitimately a follower of Christ. One of the dangers when we don't have conversations that are substantive with one another, when we don't have fellowship, when we don't have koinonia that is rich and meaty, where we can seek our teeth into questions and important matters and talk about those things with one another and really dialogue and really spur one another on to love and good deeds is that to everybody around it appears that, well, wow, so anybody can call themselves a believer. You don't talk about anything different than anybody else. So it's important for us to realize that, that, that our conversations and our prayers need to be less about just what's going on and less about what's, what's comfortable and makes me happy in life. It needs to be a lot more about God's kingdom work, his fame, his plans, his power, his promises, the things that he's up to. This is what rich koinonia looks like. This is what our fellowship is to be together. So Nick says to him, a really important question. Well, I don't get it. How can a man be born when he is old? I mean, everything that you know about birth is that it happens to little kids, right? I mean, not too many. Well, there was that one movie. What was that one? The guy's born old and he gets younger. But most of us were born young and then we get old. And really what he's stating here is a really profound thought. And that is, there's something about the nature of growing from young as an infant and a child up to mature. There's a journey of learning how to kind of wear masks, learning how to be uh, to have pretense, learning how to be disingenuous and not being able to receive things with childlike faith, with the humility of a child who says, when you say to him, here, this is yours, they receive it and they trust it. That's what childlike faith does. And so it's true. The older we get, the more the poison, if you will, of sin penetrates into us. The darker it gets, the harder it is for us to extricate that in our lives. There's shame There is darkness. There are hard things. The older we get if we do not come to know Christ, if we are not born again. Not only that, but he kind of then makes it a little bit awkward. I mean, he mentions the word womb, right? I mean, come on. Surely you don't expect somebody to, for a second time to enter his mother's womb to be born. Awkward. So Jesus, Jesus responds back to him. He says, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom unless God, uh, kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Because flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirits. So here what he's saying is, Nick, you can't even understand. You can't see the things of God unless you are in the kingdom of God. You can't see it. You can't understand it. So don't come and tell me that, yeah, we know what, what God is up to here when, in fact... You don't, because you first have to enter the kingdom of God to understand the kingdom of God and what he's up to. And he mentions two things, water baptism, or or born of water and born of spirit. And so the idea of water, being born of water, is just the reality. You know, mom's water breaks, and it's time for to have a baby, right? Um, So pregnant mom knows she's in labor once the water breaks, and a baby's born, and there's still a lot of water. That's being born of water. It's the first birth. The second birth, our second birth is being born of spiritual, being of spirit, being spiritually minded. 
I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but it occurs to me that when we take our first breath, when we enter this life, you know, we get spanked on the bottom by the dock, and we all you know, have our first little cry. My wife, who's an L&D nurse, tells me that's really not the case. It doesn't really always happen that way. But when we take our first breath, all people, we're only half born based upon this. Born of water, I'm only half born. If I've never been spiritually born, I'm half born. The only way to be fully born is for me to, the only way for me to experience full life, true life, abundant life is for me to be spiritually, be spiritually born, to be born of the Spirit of God. This idea of being born again, I mean, we've heard it before, right? I mean, there's the, the, the whole born again movement kind of happened, if you will, back in the 60s and 70s. The, the hippie generation kind of co-opted it. And there was, uh, you know, looks like this, flower power, the psychedelic uh, 60s and peace, love, save the whales. And they kind of co-opted this whole thing. And I, and I think when I hear this word born again, I think many of us go, yeah, that's, that's, that, that's what you know, crazy people do. I mean, they talk about being born again. You guys, it's not crazy people that are going to be born again. It's those that are authentic followers of Christ. Jesus is teaching something really, really important here. He's saying that no one can simply choose God without God having given birth to something new within them. Life and truth cannot be experienced apart from the Spirit of God. You cannot experience life apart from the Spirit of God, apart from being born again, which means that, that your birth of water only, your first birth, means that all you're living in is, is some version of trying to live out death, if you will. You're trying to make the best of this life. You're trying to deal with this poison of sin in your life. But the best you can do is figure out how to dress it up, perfume it up, and act like it's really not that big of a deal. Only those who have been born again have been born of the Spirit and can deal with this poison of sin. There's plenty of evidence elsewhere in Scripture that supports this idea. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says that the man without the Spirit, he doesn't even accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness. To him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so he's just like, yeah, I, I don't get it. And there are those who, when it comes to opening the Bible or hearing preaching or hearing you talk about the Lord with them, I mean, it's like, man, it, it's like another language to him. It makes no sense at all to him. My mom, um, years ago, my uh, youngest brother died, and it was a really, as you can imagine, a hard, hard time in our family. And my parents have some great friends. We have some amazing friends. And almost every single one of those friends would say that they are followers of Christ. They'd say, well, they'd say they're Christians anyway, maybe not followers. And, uh, and, and they watched my mom go through this. They watched my parents' marriage stay together. They watched her faith and her perseverance, her honest questions, the hard things she wrestled with. And they said, we don't understand how you're doing this. How are you doing this? They said, my mom said, all I can tell you is my Savior every day I'm on my knees and I, have, I receive the grace for the place that I'm in. That's all I can tell you. But it was like something alien to them. It made no sense to them for the kind of prayers and the kinds of things that she was finding in her relationship with Christ. In Romans 8 and 9 it says that the mind of sinful man is death. 
But the mind that's controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it even do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to God. So you have to be born again in order to have the Spirit indwell you. This is what happens. Anybody who comes to faith, when you come to faith, the thing that happens is you become animated by the Spirit of God. You become born again, and literally, He indwells your life. And you're sealed in Him. That's a forever thing. That's never going to change. You can't lose that. So this absolutely has to happen. And I tell you what's crazy is when you start hearing people tell their stories, tell their testimonies, tell what God has done in their life. And as you do, you, you hear some crazy, crazy stories that, uh, that just really are about, yeah, well, I was kind of born a Christian. It's like, oh, wow. Because what I understand from this interaction that Jesus has with, with Nicodemus is that they don't happen at the same time. They just don't happen at the same time. Or they just say, yeah, I'm just, my story is so boring. And it's like, man, you don't get the battles that were going on in the heavenly realms in order for you to be rescued from the enemy. Because that's exactly what had to happen. Colossians talks about that. You've been rescued from this place of darkness and from the enemy and brought into the kingdom of lights. So there was amazing battles that were taking place. You just haven't understood what Scripture has to say about it. And I would challenge you, consider your story differently if you have truly been born of Christ. So Jesus goes on to give further clarification to this idea of being born from above in verses 7 and 8. He says, you should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, you cannot tell where it's come from or where it's going, and so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You know that there's wind. You see the evidence of wind, but yet everybody agrees you really don't know where it came from and you really don't know where it's going, but you see the power of it. You see the evidence of it destructively as well as constructively as it brings in the clouds and the rain and brings a fresh breeze to our lives. There's no question about that. Why is it, Nick, that that is something that you, you can trust in and have confidence in. But when I talk to you about other things that are just as true, even though they're invisible to the naked eye, you reject it. You can't recognize it. And why is that so true of all of us? Those things that if I can't see it, if I can't verify it, if it doesn't become reasonable to me, then I just have to reject it outright. There's also a play on words that's going on here. Actually, did I read my passage? Yes, I did. Sorry. There's a play on words here. Uh, the, 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 the same root word, ruach, is the word where we get spirit and wind and breath. And while that may not seem like a big deal to us, the same word is used there, it should be a really big deal to Nick. And we're going to get there in just a second. So Nick is absolutely dumbfounded. How can this be? I don't understand this. He's scratching his head, kind of like this guy was about a week ago when we played Portugal in the last five seconds of the game. It was, it was our win to lose, and we lost it. And he's scratching his head saying, my defense fell apart. What's going on? Nick believes that based upon Israel's history, 
that being part of the right people and worshiping the right God and remaining obedient to the right rules should be enough for somebody to have entrance into the kingdom of God. It should, shouldn't it? And we're not so different. We're not. We're really not. We think that if we do the right things, that somehow God is obligated to me. God has, you have to favor me. You have to show kindness to me. And by the way, if you don't do what I'm asking, I'm going to be ticked. I'm going to walk away. That's to have, that's the sense of obligation, that God somehow is obligated to you. The truth is, is God is obligated to no man, but he's compassionate to all men. God is deeply compassionate to all of us. Those who recognize that recognize the brokenness within them. They have a childlike humility and they take him at his word and they grab a hold of his promises, a promise like this one, that we can be born of God and become children of God and they hold tightly to it. So Jesus says in in uh, 10 through 12, he says, you are Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things? Nick, what's going on? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know the disciples, those who have witnessed this, those who have insight into these things because they've been spiritually born again, they and I, and we testify to what we've seen, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? How are you going to understand, Nicodemus? It may sound like, like Jesus is being really hard on Nick here. He's really not. He's really pushing Nick. He's saying, Nick, let's think about this. You're one of 70 men. You are the elites of the elites. You've got most of the Old Testament scriptures committed to memory, and you're not connecting the dots here? Surely, ruah, spirits, wind, breath. Any bells going off in your head? And I'm sure Nick thought, well, there is that whole, you know, God breathed into the very nostrils of Adam and breathed life into him. And Adam lived because of the breath of God. He says, yeah, 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 keep coming. There's another instance. It takes place in Ezekiel 37. It's the Valley of Dry Bones. About 600 years before um, Jesus and Nicodemus' conversation And Israel had been taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Lots of terrible battles had happened. And one of of those battles, the, the entire army, is left there for dead because there wasn't even anybody to go back and bury him, which was anathema to the Jewish mind. You would take care that you're dead, you would bury him. But these guys, their bones are left, their bodies are left to rot, and all that's left are these dry bones. There's some interesting things that we find here, and uh, they, should have been, they should be helpful to us as well as helpful to Nicodemus. So let me read to you out of Ezekiel 37 what it says. This is what Ezekiel finds as he gets literally transported by the Spirit of God to this valley. He says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones actually live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Depends on your plan, is what he's saying. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Listen to what the Lord says. This is what he says to the bones. I will make breath, ruach, 
enter you and you will come to life. And I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. And I will put breath, ruach, in you and and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. The bones begin to come together. It's like a scene from Captain Jack Sparrow there, right? So the bones come together. Matter of fact, I've got a little picture of that for you there. There you go. Bones come together and the ligaments come together and the muscles come together and the skin begins to cover him. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds. Breath. The breath that's needed to animate these guys. Come from the four winds. O breath and breathe into the slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as I was commanded And breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood to their feet, a vast army. Nick knew, he's looking at, this is a prophecy about what what God was going to do in the future. The day was coming when something unique was going to happen. And this wind was going to come upon many in Israel. And God was going to make for himself a people unto his own. That day has come as Jesus is there with Nicodemus. Because we are all like this valley of dry bones. We too have no life within us. If all, we've, if all this happens, we've been born of water. If that's the only birth that's taken place in our life, then we need the fresh wind of the Spirit to blow through us and to make us born again, to be fully born. So if being from the right people, the right nation, the right, right religion, church, family isn't enough, then, then what is enough? What is needed to be born again? Simply this, faith and repentance. Jesus' final words here, he says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Nick knew what this was an allusion to. This is time back when Israel was being in the midst of the Exodus, taken to the promised land, and yet they sent out spies before they got there. And two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, it's, there's, there's, there's amazing fruits in this land. Let's go. Let's take this land. And the other ten come back and say, there's giants in the land. We can't do this. We cannot trust the presence of God, the power of God, the promises of God. And so they go off and they... They, they, they soil this whole thing for Israel. And Israel grumbles and walks away in disobedience, says, we want to go back to Egypt. God says, no, you're going to wander in the desert. And God provides manna in the desert for them, but he also lets them, in the midst of their disobedience, in the midst of their independence and wayward hearts and lives, they also experience the full weight of the desert. The serpents come, poisonous serpents come and bite at them and their poison begins to kill them. And they begin to cry out, Moses, do something, call upon Jehovah. Surely there's something that can be done to heal us. And he does. And God tells Moses, make a bronze snake, make a make a snake that you're going to put up on a pole in the middle of camp, set that serpent there in the middle of camp, and as the people are out going their own way in their stiff-necked hearts, in their independent hearts, doing their own things, not trusting me, then when they get bits and the po- before the poison can sink into them, they turn and look to the one that was raised up on a pole. 
and they're going to find healing. But look what he says. He says, the son of man has got to be raised up like this serpent. The son of man was a prophecy to the coming Messiah. Nicodemus knew this, and he's probably beginning to put this stuff together and say, what are you telling me here? Somehow, this son of man, whom you're fulfilling some of these prophecies, Jesus, I'm sure all this is going through his head. He came to him from the beginning and said, we see these works. No one could do them unless God was with him. You're fitting this, this, this idea of the Messiah that was to come. We don't know that, that, that Nicodemus came to faith. We don't see that he does here. But we realize that we have a much bigger story for us. See, we get to look back and understand how to put all this together because in John 3.16, we hear this promise that we saw way back at the beginning of John. We see it again here with a little different twist. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We have the promise and this time it's with the understanding that man has a universal need. Man has a brokenness. Man has a poison that is within him. From the point that we have been born the first time, born of water, there's a poison that begins to sink into us and it will cause death in us. Not just death that our life ends, but eternal death, separation from God. The promise is that you can turn to the one and only Son who was given for you. And he was the one, the son of man, the Messiah that was raised up on a pole. And we look to the center of camp, if you will. And we recognize that that serpent that was there, Jesus had to become our sin in our place. And so we look up to the one, the only one who can save us from our sin. And we find healing. We are born again when we do that. When we embrace the promise of God, we're changed We're born not just the first time, not just born of water and half born, but we become fully born as we are born of the spirits. And for those of you that are born again, let me just make three quick pieces of truth, three quick challenges to you. The first is to enjoy life. And I say this because the people of God, it seems, forgets. We we, we don't know, I think, that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to, to know an abundant life that comes with faith. And so God wants us to know, man, I, ha- I can now have joy. I can now have peace because I can enjoy life. The second is to enjoy hearty fellowship with one another. We, we have a spirit, it says in Scripture, a spirit of boldness, a spirit of courage in Scripture. So let's speak to one another with courage. Let's have hearty fellowship together, taking off the masks and really being real with what's going on in our lives. That will be so amazingly attractive to the world around you, so amazingly attractive to your friends, because we have the courage to be honest. And church is known as a place, man, this is a place where we can be real. And finally, only those who have been fully born are truly image bearers. We, can, we are the compassionate image bearers that God desires to be shown to the world around us, fully born children of God who bear his image to the world, being compassionate to those around us. If you have not been born again, if you know that you have not been born, born from above, then the Christian life is going to seem to you like an impossible task. 
You're never going to live up to it. And until you understand his grace, you're going to spend your life trying to impress God instead of worshiping God. You'll, you'll find studying scripture to be nothing of a chore, something that you have to do instead of an opportunity to get to know the living God. You'll have no power over temptation in your life. You're going to find no joy in evangelism. And you're never going to truly be able to forgive those who harm you in life. In short, you have not and you will not be fully living because you have only been half born. So turn, turn from your sin, from your independence. Claim the promise in this gospel of John that to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, God has loved you and given you his son so that you shall not perish in your sins but have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we, we recognize it's an amazing thing to understand the context of you being lifted up on that cross for us, to understand John 3, 3.16 in a fuller way and to know what that means to us, that that's when we become born again. We become fully born, able to really enjoy life, able to really understand your word, able to actually commune with you. So, Father, I pray for these, my brothers and sisters, and those who have questions and those who are not quite there yet, that they would have courage, that they would recognize that you're a God who wants to be approached and known and a God who wants to entertain all our questions. So we praise you, Father. Give us grace in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, you guys. You're dismissed.